Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. And we're here to talk to you about uh, one of the fine sponsors of Front Row Knowles, and that is the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been with us for the last couple of years. Uh, many of you may have sampled it for the first time during the spring game. Uh, if so, the news was good. They had the biggest crowd they've ever had in there, and uh, from the stories I heard, things went well. Feedback was uh, off the charts in terms of the uh, – it was a great day to be outside, a great day to be inside, all the food, all the drink, all the uh, t- uh, televisions. You, you couldn't miss the action because of all the glass. I mean, there were a number of people – that spent their first game at Doak Campbell Stadium at the Champions Club during that spring game, and uh, they'll be back, and you need to join them. 644-1830 is how you can get some more information or tickets. Uh, you can buy season tickets. Obviously a great home schedule this year. They've also got three-game packs this year, so you can uh, truly sample it uh, before you make the, the the five-year commitment, I guess, to buy the, buy the season tickets. But it, it's worth checking out. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about Florida State football for obvious reasons, and this is one of them very much so and remember with your champions club seats you get opportunity to be in the club on friday come back on sunday uh, you can make it a weekend visit to the weekend destination you'll enjoy it what he said now here's front row Knowles. broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row Knowles with tom block and keith jones front row Knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith We are making history today as we say good evening. KJ, I believe in its current rendition, this may be the first ever national championship edition of Front Row Knowles. I believe you're correct. I believe you're correct. And man, what what a last couple of days. Unbelievable run. Congratulations to the Seminoles, Lonnie Alameda, her team. It was just fun to watch. It was really enjoyable. Obviously, they got the, the result that everybody in Knoll Nation wanted. But, man, did they represent in impressive fashion on and off the field, yep. the way they played the game, the fun they had. I mean, you just can't argue with anything. I, I didn't I didn't watch all of the games over the weekend. Uh, I got bits and pieces of them because I was scared to death because they played, what, six elimination games in a row if you go all the way back to, to the Super Regional maybe, whatever it was. Every time I turned around, they were playing for their lives. So I was, it was like I didn't want to jinx. I didn't want to watch. And then, the, and then they make the, 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 the championship series, the best two out of three. So Kathy and I set up Monday. I watched from start to finish. That's the first time I've watched a, a women's softball game other than televising it from start to finish because you just – baseball and, and softball, those are the kind of things you just go in and out and you you know, you know mess around in the kitchen. But we didn't miss a pitch. Right. We didn't miss a, a bat. You know, when the, when the commercials came up, we ran to the bathroom. We ran back. I mean, I watched every single thing that happened and uh, sat there and cried a couple of times. Um, you know, you couldn't be more proud for a team, for individuals, uh, for what Lonnie has put together. I, I remember talking with Monk when they when they were first interviewing and recruiting uh, Lonnie to come, and, and Monk telling me, you know, Joanne Graff had been here forever and was an institution, and he says, KJ, th- this lady has, has got some credentials and some background. She's liable to do something very, very special. That's how high they were on her when they brought her in, and um, she's done nothing to uh, but to deliver. It was just impressive, and, you know, everybody listening watched the game. We don't need to relive it, but I, I do think last night, uh, when you think about teams, any sport, basically, you know, they laid an egg in the top half of the first inning. And they didn't care. It was as if they said, "That's all right. You got a fourteen nothing lead. It's still the first quarter. Well, Check the scoreboard the, after the game." Yeah, they were. You know, there was a question, uh, at least amongst the commentators, amongst the public, who, who, who's who's going, who's Lonnie's going to throw? You know, do you come back with uh, King, or do you, do you go something different? Because they've seen her, and now you go back and potentially come back with something different. So you put King in there, and it looks like that's a bad decision because you give up three in the first. Uh, but you're exactly right, and and. You know, there's a part of you that looks at how loose they were and said, "Do they do they realize? Are they are they ignorant? Are they just completely ignorant and have no idea what the stage is?" And as a result, they're just being young people, and and boy, that's immature. But it's the exact opposite. They they are that confident, but with a a looseness and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a 
and a, a, an ability to know that someone will do something when something needs to be done that was absolutely refreshing. I mean, it's been a long time since you've seen a team respond like that. It, it was impressive in every step of the way. So two points here. First, related to the other pitcher, Lonnie was asked about that afterwards, and she said they had a lot of discussion about it. And Kylie Hansen's the other ace, really good pitcher. And basically they felt if if they pitched Kylie last night and there was a game tonight, Washington would know everything they had. And so they felt better served to save Kylie for tonight where she would be completely different and they wouldn't have the scouting report on her. So that was – and obviously you can't second-guess the decision. They won the game. As it relates to having fun, and I don't want to necessarily go down this road right now because it's stepping into the spotlight of the softball team – but it does sort of beg the question about the way the current football coach is going to run his program compared to the way the former football coach ran his program and what kind of results you might be able to see. And I'm not suggesting that the football team is going to be over there on the sideline doing cheers and chants. I am suggesting that the psychology of just playing looser, having fun when you go to practice, having fun in the game. Again, it's a different sport. You play once a week, a loss is more costly in football than one loss in marches in softball. But there's some interesting parallels there. Well, there's lessons to be learned is basically what you're saying. Let's pay attention to some of the things that were done. You heard, uh, and we've talked to all of these coaches, you, you know that there's certain things that Coach Kikorian's done with the soccer team that other coaches have looked at uh, since he's been here and said, we want to replicate or change or, 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 or even the, the lady coaches that will, will mimic some of that. There'll, there'll be some coaches paying attention to the way the softball team was put together and the way they were managed, and they'll they'll take some uh, of the positives away from that. You you can't help but because of the success they have enjoyed. Megan King, by the way, who is tremendous, comes back next year, as do seven of the nine bats in that lineup for Florida State. Well, think about there were some records set. King's ERA NCAA postseason ERA is zero point two zero. I, I, that's just unheard of. And that's not like she threw three games. She threw seven or eight or however many it was. Um, young lady, uh, name escapes me, most stolen bases in the College World Series. That's six. Um, that must, must have been Claveman. I didn't see that. Morgan Claveman? I believe it is Claveman. Yeah, Claveman's got uh, You know, just the, the six elimination games. That ties uh, an NCAA postseason And, and Jesse record. Warren set the record for most hits in a yep. – you know, that tied the record. that catch she made – so I got an interesting man that catch. You know, social media. If you ever get there, Keith, we can get you a burner account like the guy with the Sixers has, so nobody even knows it's you. <laughs> but the best time, and people who are on Twitter in particular will agree. If you're watching live sports unfold and it happens that way for your team, it's as if you're in a room with a thousand of your closest FSU friends as you go back and forth. But Twitter was just a fire. One person uh, responded to me on that because that that clip has over two million views on YouTube right now. Kobe Bryant even weighed in with a wow. But somebody responded to me and said that should be an ESPY. And I thought about it, and they give an ESPY for about everything. I don't know the exact category, but best play in a big moment, something like that should be because that you will not see a better play any sport given the stakes than what she made the other night. What made it more important? is she made the catch and then made the throw. Right. Well, I mean, it, I'm, I'm not going to – don't don't email me. I know I'm going down a road. But I'm, 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 I'm saying think about the catch that Willie Mays made, the over-the-shoulder catch that right. we all know about. Well, what you forget is the throw he made afterwards because we spend so much time thinking about the catch. The same thing with Warren's catch. She's immediately to her knees and has the presence – to go to first to get the double play. I mean, just amazing. Really, really good. One thing, this was an NCAA softball championship, and so it's been reported as Florida State's first softball championship, which it is at the NCAA level. But Florida State won two national championships. 81 and 82. Prior to NCAA fast pitch competition, that FSU counts as national championships as they should at AIAW. I just throw that out there. Obviously, in the NCAA tournament, they're not going to talk about it. But I think it is relevant because it's not just the people that played in the early 2000s or the 90s there's a lot of folks that laid bricks for that foundation in the 70s and the 80s when joanne graff was getting her career started because and i wasn't here then you were to add some context to that but i've been broadcasting softball games for florida state since the early to mid 90s and again and that was fast pitch but 
softball in the southeast, the high schools were still playing slow pitch. Florida State would have to go to California and get the leftovers that weren't going to the Pac-10 schools then. And so FSU was the best fast pitch program in the southeast. Then high schools added it. Now other programs, obviously the Southeastern Conference has. And so the sport has grown a lot. But it has come a long way since those days. And especially if you go back to your day in in 81 and 82 when they won titles. And and I remember going to those games. The field was at the old, what was now the the intramural fields. But over by Madison Social, you you could throw a softball from home plate and hit Madison Social from where the old uh, field was. And and Darby Cottle, who was a great women's athlete for Florida State, uh, was a, a dear friend of mine uh, when, when I, right after I graduated and she was still in school. She dated a buddy of mine and, um, and would come over to the house. And, and that's how I got to know Joanne and know that Kathy, my wife, had gone to actually gone to high school with Joanne, got to know her. And uh, it was it was just great watching that happen. And then, as you mentioned, the game has changed, and it, it moved to, to fast pitch. I think the other thing that's interesting, Tom, uh, big picture. Uh, I'm sitting there Monday night, and there are two or three baseball regionals that are not decided. And they're on TV. But they're on ESPNU and ESPN2 and the alternate channels. What's running on the big ESPN channel on Monday night at 7 o'clock? The national championship for women's softball. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have dreamt that was even possible. And the reason they do that is because it draws. It's one of their highest drawing collegiate broadcasts. When the ACC network launches, just look at what the SEC network televises. You're going to see... Football, men's and women's basketball, baseball and softball. I mean, th- those are the sports that are going to drive it. You're not all of a sudden going to see a bunch of other sports. That's pre- you-, you may see some others, but that's that's what's going to drive the it. The other thing that's great about this particular national championship is, you know, Florida's had national championships in soccer, one in 2014, a couple of times in women's uh, track and field. But those games weren't widely televised. We, no, we got to watch no, this one. I, I think this. I'm somebody who works at the university. I don't work in admissions. But FSU had 51,000 applicants for this year, which is a record and far and away more than anybody else in the state of Florida. And one of the top totals for any college in the country, 51,000 applicants for what will be 6,000 freshmen. So now they just got the stage all weekend. And those softball players represented Florida State as well as can be represented. And it's not going to hurt. The front, por- the front porch looks good. The front it? porch looks good. Let me finish the thought about when, when Joanne Graff was getting her program in the 80s and 90s. The, the point about the fact that the Southeast wasn't playing fast pitch then is that Florida State was the creme de la creme here. But when they went to face teams out west, they were more offensively skilled and advanced. So Florida State, a lot of time, not not all the time because Joanne was really good, but they couldn't compete at that highest level. And the games tended to be one nothing. They were all pitchers duels. Everybody bunted. And there was one player on the team who maybe could hit it out. But progressively year by year and you see it now these are not one nothing games these are exciting games i mean those are great pitchers and florida state put up eight runs and the game is it's a smaller field obviously it's compressed the action is faster it's a fun game it's great viewership it's great watching it 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 fits all the molds there's constant action the games are shorter you don't have to sit there for three and a half hours like you do for a baseball game um, if the emotion, got, the emotion. Now, there's some of us, us old football players that go, my gosh, can't y'all just be quiet for one inning? Right. Because it is constant right. You just noise. struck out. Do you have to smile going yeah. back to the dugout? Gee, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you've got to respect and, and, and enjoy and embrace that because it's, it's real. It's not contrived. Uh, it's just, a, it's an amazing exclamation point on what has been a tremendous year for Florida State Athletics comprehensively. It may wind up being their best year when they factor in all the sports with the director's cup, because now that you've got a national title, that's like another 60 points that you wouldn't have gotten if you finished second. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about this, uh, coming up. We, we also need to get back to, uh, baseball because of Mike Martin's decision over the weekend and the way that ended the track and field championships start today and Florida State has uh, the latest in a long line of great sprinters who is uh, trying to pull off the old double there with the 100 and the 200 and to be fair he's running in the four by one as well which is Maurice Mitchell Walter Dix type stuff we'll talk to him he's a really interesting story uh, coming up in the program but I do need you to mark your calendars right now for Friday afternoon I want to say 3 30 
you'll know for sure by the time Friday afternoon rolls around. But that's when there will be a national championship celebration for the softball team at the unconquered statue. They will light the uh, unconquered statue, will salute these Seminoles. And then, because you've already knocked off work early, I would advise you just to go over to Madison Social or Township or Centrale and just, to, and, just enjoy, enjoy the night. Ha- enjoy, enjoy happy the hour night. and uh, soak in the celebration uh, that is a national championship for Florida State. Beautiful. All right, we are just warmed up. I feel good. You know, if we could win national championships every Tuesday, these Wednesday shows would be a breeze, Keith. Let's see if we can get somebody to do that for us. All right, more Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. It was such a rough weekend for the baseball team that we just went ahead and dropped Tim Linnefeld out of the lineup altogether. So this week, playing the role of our Seminoles.com insider. Go ahead. Courtesy runner. Courtesy runner. So that Linnefeld can come back into the ball. Game. That's right. We can reinsert him next week. Uh, we're going to fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to Aria Masudi, who also works for Seminoles.com and is probably a little fatigued right now because he's been in Oklahoma City for maybe 20 hours as we're talking. But part of those 20 hours was watching FSU win a national title. Aria, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. So what time did you arrive in OKC yesterday and at the stadium? I, I got on a plane at about... 6 a.m. Central Time, left Tallahassee at 3.30 Eastern in the morning to catch a 7 a.m. flight out of Destin uh, to Oklahoma City. So I've uh, been here, I've not slept, but you know what? It's worth it. That <laughs> sounds like it. What what What's the mood? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you've got your first school national championship in the sport. The school hasn't had a, a team national championship since 2014, so... Uh, what, what a moment for Lonnie Alameda and her program. Without question. I mean, Lonnie represented herself really well. Her whole team did. What was the atmosphere like, Aria? Uh, I, don't, I, don't just, I, don't, I don't just mean FSU. I mean the whole World Series. It was incredible. You know, I was only there for, for one night to cover for the final two games. Well, thankfully, Florida State ended it in two games total, so we didn't even get to Wednesday. But they announced a crowd of over 8,000 for last night's game, and the, the, the media people there were telling me that, that they, they were putting 8,000 in the regular, which is a sellout for, for that stadium. And, you know, the, the, the sport's just growing every single year. ESPN's getting it more coverage every single year. And just to see that passion around college softball was great. And uh, from, the thought, from the looks of it, every single person and every neutral fan there that wasn't a Washington Husky fan, I think everybody was rooting for Florida State. It had that feel of, you know, the, the TCU baseball teams that make it out to Omaha and kind of becomes the fan favorite, the darling out there. I think Florida State was the darling out in Oklahoma City this week, and they came through with the title. With the title. Yeah, it, it was impressive. Now, I've been to Omaha several times. Uh, I've not been to Oklahoma City. For, the, for those who haven't, which is probably most or many in our audience, certainly probably haven't been there for the softball championships. Is it tailgating and whatnot right around the stadium? Is it in the middle of an area of restaurants and bars? Is it uh, out remote? I mean, what kind of atmosphere outside the stadium, around the stadium exists? Yeah, so the stadium is remote. I mean, it's not really near the downtown, uh, but there is a lot of tailgating going on. Uh, you know, I mean, softball fan base, it's a lot of younger kids and uh, a, lot of, a lot of people that have played the sport are currently a part of softball teams around the country. So that's a really cool element to see, you know, the, the passion. And it really has a family feel of a softball community that really comes out and enjoys it. Um, but the, the stadium's very impressively large. Uh, you know, when I went there, I wasn't expecting it to be as nice as it was. And, you know, you got grandstands all the way around left field and right field foul poles. And then you've got bleacher stands basically that sky rise and left, left center and center field and right center. I mean, it's amazing. It's an impressive facility. It's an impressive place to play softball. And I think it's just such a great event that Oklahoma City puts on every year. All right. For those that aren't aware, most of your your softball is done in, in travel teams. 
when when the when the young ladies are you know get up to around uh, their teenage years, they they become part of these travel teams, and these tr- these travel teams like to go to other places and watch games. And as a result, when you when you see a, a women's softball game at the collegiate level, there there are a lot of young young ladies in the stands, much like a baseball game when there's a lot of young boys and there's dreams and aspirations. I mean, th- th- this is becoming something that uh, these ladies are spending their their young careers to get towards and it's become the pinnacle of, of of softball in the united states absolutely and you know you see you saw a lot of a lot of young young girls with their jerseys on at the game you know they're wearing their team uniform there's players who traveled that were on junior college teams that you know even at the age of 18 to 20 are wearing their junior college uniform to the game it's just such a prideful thing that that i think the softball community has it's it's a smaller, you know, it's a smaller niche sport. I think um, as, as it gets to the, the collegiate level, but it's starting to grow, and I think you're seeing that commitment, and I think you're seeing that pretty much become uh, just aware of it. It's like the ESPN starting to cover it the way they have. You're, you're getting more and more softball games. I've been told when the ACC Network launches its linear channel that softball is going to be a key ingredient of that of the makeup of the content of that network. So this sport's just getting bigger. And I think Florida state, uh, it's funny because uh, I joke with Travis Wilson, uh, the assistant coach for Florida state last night, I said, you guys caught lightning in a bottle. And I think, you know, you just blew the top off the momentum, the way it's been increasing over the last few years. This is the perfect time to win a national title and to bring all the awareness on you. I mean, guys, Kobe Bryant, tweeted about jesse warren's catch the other night so it doesn't get bigger than that all right your article is up on seminoles.com uh, i know there's a photo gallery and uh and uh, you and lane and tim and the rest of the folks have just done a wonderful job what 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 when you sat down to write your article last night what was your focus what were you, what was going through your thought process um my thought process and the focus was essentially i was my assignment was to get you know the the overall game recap in uh, and have something up as quick as possible, but uh, I'll have something coming out later this week, uh, possibly even tomorrow on Megan King and just just the dominance that she's shown going from one of the, the one of the good college pitchers and one of the best in the ACC to really becoming one of the best in all of college softball, maybe the best pitcher in softball over the last month. Uh, but what a job they did! Uh, Megan King was great, and then the hitting timely hitting they all seem to really fuel off each other so i'm going to do this thing that we always do and i think you were guilty of it last night aria perhaps but we turn the page immediately and we look forward to next year and so when you look at this team there was four seniors on it seven of the nine hitters are going to return obviously jesse warren and morgan clayman are the two who won't corinna uh, rosario is another senior who was a, a more of a role player and then Kylie Hansen, who we didn't see pitch in the finals, uh, she won't be back. But all that said, Megan King comes back, seven of the nine starters come back, and I think it was you who said they recruited a lights-out class. So do you know anything more beyond it's a lights-out class? Uh, from what I was told, uh, a lot of the coaching staff's really excited about the players they have coming in. I think they have some immediate impact girls um, that, they, that they're really, really enthusiastic about. As far as names go, I haven't really delved into it to see who those right. who those players are. I do know they have a transfer from Auburn coming in uh, on the mound. Um, she she didn't pitch much for Auburn this year, but, you know, she'll be immediately eligible next season um, replacing, you know, Kylie Hansen. And I think that's the thing that this national championship does. I think it just validated Florida State and the conference that they're in and the ACC that doesn't really matter where you're at. You know, you can play and win a national title. And I imagine Lonnie will have a lot easier time recruiting no question and it was uh, as keith called it the the front porch is looking pretty good for the university right now based on what a great display by by this team Ari, i'll ask you this we're talking with aria masudi who's playing the role of tim linnefelt uh, to be fair to tim we didn't really bench him but his travel plans i don't know why he wanted to come back he, he, he refused to stay in oklahoma city just to record our show keith but he insisted on getting on a plane and come back aria meanwhile Dedicated. dedicated 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 no but keith, I'm, I'm the designated player with the speed there you go keith and i go back longer than you but I, i'm curious from your perspective and you grew up here in tallahassee as a florida state fan jesse warren's performance overall 
Where does that rank for you compared to other Florida State athletes? I think it's right up there. And again, you two have been around a long time, so I think you guys can make that judgment better. But from from what I've been able to watch, you know, my my memory goes back to probably I don't know, two thousand and three or two thousand four when when I was ten years old. So that's kind of where I can dig back into my memory bank and remember. But this has to be up there. I mean, the catch she made last night will go down as one of the best plays. Excuse me, the catch she made two nights ago was one of the best plays I think in Florida State athletics history. Just given the moment, given you know the, the stage, and given the context, um, she is easily Hall of Fame material. I would imagine she needs to be inducted into the Hall of Fame within the year <laughs> that she graduates and, and leaves Florida State. They, they actually have a requirement on that. <laughs> you got to be out a few yeah, years first. I got you. But she, she deserves that requirement being waived. <laughs> she's that good. I think it's, it's no doubt that she's one of the best softball players in Florida State history. I think a lot of people that I've talked to said she might very well be the best softball player in Florida State history without a doubt the best hitter that well, you know it's an, it's an interesting thing and i don't know the softball history that well but i think jessica vanderlinden's name would be on that short list yeah and jesse that's, that's another name and, and jessica burrow's name would be on that list so lonnie just needs to keep recruiting jessica's and things will be just fine i think you're right i think you're right but her performance was fantastic tom to really and and, and keith to answer your question she she took the, the team and put it on her back. Uh, she made key plays when they needed to have them, and she just wouldn't be denied. I mean, defensively, with the, sw- with the swing of the bat last night, and when she hits the ball, guys, she doesn't get cheapened. I mean, everything she hits is Or she hit one. She hit hard. one off the ground that hit That's the wall. How, I mean, that wasn't golf, even a full swing. Even, I'm telling you, she's even got the golf swing down. I mean, what can't this girl do? Yeah, it was impressive. She she's definitely if you were in the stadium, I imagine that you planned your trip to the concession stand or the restroom around or you know, let's wait till after she bats. And if you're at the house, you don't get up from your couch. Let me let me watch Jesse bat and then I'll go do whatever I'm gonna do. Uh it really was remarkable. It's been an incredible run. And it's not as if Florida State has not been pretty doggone good in softball. This is not a one year deal. I mean, they're gonna compete every year for the chance to go to Oklahoma City, and if you do that, you're gonna have a chance to win another one. You absolutely are. And this team, as you mentioned, Tom, if you look ahead to next year, Elizabeth Mason's back, you know, Anna Shellnut, token postseason Anna, she'll be back behind the dish. I mean, you'll have so many of the key pieces that are coming back that Sydney Sherrill sets the NCAA record for doubles in a season. Yeah, Sydney's going to be the next Jesse, which I know that's a big statement, but Sydney's a freshman All-American who's really, really good. She really is, and Zoe Costas will be back, you know, as one of the veterans of that team to lead the way. And then, of course, you get Megan King back in the circle. And how, how good has she been taking that step from really great to elite? And I think you have to feel good if you're Lonnie Alameda about the future of this program, at least immediately. Things are going the right way and trending in the right direction. We'll finish up on this, Aria. You're talking about Jesse putting the team on her back. Was it not Jesse who also came to the rescue when there was a bug on Anna Shellnut in the press conference last night and somebody needed to brush it off her to save her? <laughs> that was one of the most wild moments I have seen at a press conference. Uh, in my, uh, I'll call it my short media career that I've had here of the last five years. But I was sitting in the front row, actually, Tom, which is funny. And I saw the, it was a beetle. I think it was more of a beetle than it was anything. And it was just you know, it looked like it was just navigating her shirt and navigating <laughs> her torso up until her chest and into her neck. And she was having an emotional moment, you know, was, talking for about the, a question. Yeah, for those – Go ahead. No, I was just going to – for those who didn't see, she was asked a question. There's like six or seven players up there in Lonnie, and so then they get a tight shot that's just on Anna. And she was 30 seconds into a response before she realized that there was something crawling on her. Yeah, and, and you know she was it, was. it wasn't just a normal response. I mean, it was a really deep question and a deep, deep response. And I almost thought about you know I was in that front row and I thought about getting up and swiping it off of her, but I didn't want to be that guy. And so we're all just kind of holding our breath, watching it, just hoping it doesn't go from her jersey to her skin. And let a little do you know, she, it starts to crawl on her neck, and that's when she feels it. And I think it was. Uh, it was either Zoe Casas or Anna Shellnut, uh, not Anna Shellnut, it was Zoe, I think it was Zoe Casas or Sydney Sherrill sitting next to her that immediately saw it, swiped at her, 
had her jersey, and then Anna Shelnut freaked out, and then the rest of the girls freaked out, got up, and funny moment, and Lonnie Alameda and Lonnie basically narr- narrates that with uh, pretty much the story of our season. <laughs> it's worth the time. I, I know uh, we didn't do justice to it as this is radio. It's worth a quick search uh, on social media to find the clip. Uh, Aria, safe travels back. Uh, thanks for your for your uh, insight and uh, congratulations on being there for what's a great moment in Florida State athletics history. All right, Tom. All right, KJ. Appreciate it, guys. Go Noles. Safe travels. Aria Masudi uh, playing the part of Seminoles.com insider. He does uh, write for Seminoles.com. Calls a lot of the games for uh, ACC Network Extra as well, so you guys would be familiar with uh, Aria's work. Keith, we're going to shift gears real quick because next segment we have an interview with the latest and greatest in a long line of sprinters for Florida State. And that list, you know, Walter Dix is probably at the pinnacle, which is interesting because the only name I could come up with thinking about the last few years who performed as big on the big stage as what Jesse Warren did was Walter Dix because he was favored to win everything. And then he went and he won the 100, the 200, and the 4 by one and I forget the list, but the list of people who've done that is like Carl Lewis, Jesse Owens, and Walter Dix, or at least it was then. It's, um, I guess you could argue maybe Jameis in the second half against Auburn. I, you know, I don't know. You could probably pull a football thing, but it's a pretty short list. And and obviously the sprinters get all of the notoriety because we we talk about them. But uh, I haven't uh, had the opportunity to listen uh, on our show to anyone that has run a hundred meters in under 10 seconds you you've had that privilege yeah that's that's fast andre ewers is who we're talking about he's actually running tonight in the prelims because the ncaa outdoor track and field championships are underway in oregon so we recorded this interview but you'll hear it when we come back on front row knolls Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. And welcome back. Actually, Keith is sitting this segment out as uh, we have a chance to talk with one of Florida State's star sprinters from the men's track and field program. So we'll fire up the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to a junior who is from Jamaica, Andre Ewers, and he's blazing fast, but uh, we were able to catch up with him somehow as he gets set to compete in Eugene, Oregon at the NCAA Championships. Andre, how are you? I'm doing great. What is this moment like for you as as we talk? You know, you're a few days away from being in the spotlight, but you've been a sprinter your whole life, and here you are now on the NCAA's biggest stage uh, doing what you do best. It's actually a great feeling. It's what I've dreamed of and goals I made coming into the season. And by me putting God first in everything that I do and the sacrifices I've made, um, he's given me a lot more results than I've expected to see. So I'm just excited to go out there and compete with the best in the nation. Let me give some context for our listeners who may not closely follow the Florida State Track and Field Program. You've got the number one time in the 200 this year. Uh, that's sub-20 at 1998. I think that one was wind-aided. And you're number two in the 100 with a 998. You'll also be running with the Florida State 4x1 team. Um that said, I, I saw on your on your Twitter feed you recently tweeted uh, something to the effect of "Don't tell people your goals, show them." So you've got an opportunity to show them, and uh, um, just just go ahead and articulate what those goals are uh, as you're out in Eugene. I mean, when I said "Don't tell people your goals, show them," you know, because ever since I've been doing track and field, um, people always laugh at me when I tell them certain things and. I figure the best thing for me coming into this season is to keep quiet, work hard in silence, and make my success make noise. So, you know, going into Eugene, Oregon, pretty much a preview of what I want to do. I didn't come here at Florida State to be average. I came here to become one of the great, the greatest sprinter in history, along with Walter Dix and Morris Mitchell and guys like that. So I'm just trying to make, leave my mark and make my history in my own name to impact other people in the future that's going to come here and inspire people also. 
Well, you just mentioned some of the all-time greats on the track for Florida State and Walter Dix and Mo Mitchell, Charles Clark, another one. Uh, and you know, and you can go way back to guys like Work Dunn and Deion Sanders and and others that that uh, were football guys that ran track. But you know, in terms of all-time greats, you're from Jamaica, and I was looking at the timeline on it. And I think you moved to the states in in 2007, I want to say, and in 2008 is when Usain Bolt burst onto the Olympic scene. Uh, so how much is he somebody that uh, you looked up to or, or idolized as a, even now as a fellow countryman? I mean, um, track-wise, both doing some great great things as far as his performance and things like that. I don't really look up to it, but as far as what he do, does for the country, I get inspired by that, especially knowing that he's gone now. Um, I would like to be that guy to help contribute to my country and keep that tradition going in um, God's will because he did some phenomenal stuff over the years that nobody could fill his shoes. That's just legendary. We're talking with Andre Ewers from the men's track and field team at Florida State. He's going to be uh, competing in the 100, the 200, the 4x1. Florida State's got a big contingent from a team standpoint. Uh, You know, this is there's many sports like this at the collegiate level. You compete as an individual, but it's a team sport overall. And obviously, in the relay, that is more of a team. What What are the expectations from the Florida State men's and women's uh, squads as you're out there in terms of what you guys hope to accomplish this week? I think our hopes to accomplish great, great, great things as long as we go out there and execute and do everything what we're capable of and the work that we put put in since the first day of fall training and all the sacrifice we made and we go out there and leave everything on the track, our heart, our soul, and execute, then God is going to reveal some great result for us. And I think, and I'm not the track expert, but I think if things go according to, to seed or form, the men have a chance to finish in the top 10, the women maybe in the top 20, and who knows? Uh, maybe you exceed what the what the times are coming in, and, and it's even better. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your personal story, uh, just a little bit. For those who may not know, there's, there's a picture, and I, I don't know if it was at the NCAA Regionals or at the ACC Outdoor Championships where you were the MVP uh, on the track side, but there's a picture of you with your three-year-old son, Aiden, and I'm curious how you balance school and track and being a father. Um, the way how I balance it, I recently got saved, which helps me a lot more with that. You know, I put I put God first, and He um guides me and let me know that um track don't last forever. So my number one priority in life is my son. So um when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I try to do is talk to him before I go to practice or go to school, and then I get my day started. At night, I talk to him, tell him I, I love him and things like that. It's not easy being far away, being a father, dealing with school and track, but um, I do my best and do everything that that I can to talk to him and stay in contact. And there's times I drive seven hours home on weekends for like two, two days and drive back. It takes a toll on my body, but that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make to see my son. He's in South Florida? Yes, he lived down in Fort Lauderdale. We're talking with uh, Andre Ewers from the the men's track and field team. Now, uh, you know, digging a little bit deeper, part of... uh, your your interest and your passion for your son is that that as I understand it, your father was not involved uh, really from any point you can remember. I mean, just share how much maybe that uh, weighed on you and how much that motivates you now. Um, that motivates me a lot because just the fact that I know my father wasn't there for me growing up and nobody never pushed me to do things or be where I'm at today. It was like me taking things up on myself to go far in life. And now that I am a father, I made a promise to myself that I'm going to do everything in my power to be a great father for my son, a great leader, and a great example. So that way, when he grows up, all those things come natural for him. 
Andre Ewers is a star sprinter at Florida State, and uh, your your road was not an easy one. You grew up in Jamaica, you moved to South Florida, but you had uh, I, I don't know what the right term is. You it was an unfortunate incident or accident where you were actually hit while walking on the side of the road in a hit and run, and that that derailed your track career for a couple of years. And I think you still have lingering effects. What can you share about that incident? Um, that incident was pretty much, I was walking home, I got hit in the side by a little pickup truck, and after going to the hospital and going through the CAT scan and things like that, they told me I wouldn't be able to, um, run, because walking home at times, my hip would give out and I would drag my leg, but the person I am since day one, I just don't give up and I keep trying, so I figure I try out put track again two years later in the ninth grade and i ran 11 7 and after that the rest was just history me keep pushing and breaking hard throughout my trials and errors do you have any lingering effects still from that Um, accident i don't have effects where it it gives out but at times like my hip area is really tight it doesn't matter what i do because at times I know my coach always say it's amazing how I'm tight in certain areas, but when I run, I'm very fluid. What do you focus on when you run? I mean, your races are so short. That's <laughs> a very broad question, but, I mean, you're, you're running a 10-second 100 and a 20-second 200. I mean, just, just walk us through what your mental approach is as you get in the blocks to when you cross the line. I'm, ha- I'm happy that you um, actually asked that. Going to the blocks. For example, this weekend when I ran 9-9, I'm walking to the blocks. I said to myself, you made the sacrifice. You made the commitment. You're, you were dedicated. You gave up everything that you can for moments like this. So going out, out there, you're doing this for your son, your family, your coaches, your team. So go out, go out there, execute that race. And I tell myself, as long as God is with me, then I shouldn't fear no man on the track. As long as I execute my race, he's going to reveal great results. And I want to inspire people with my races that was once in my predicament when I ran 11.7. And people tell me that I won't be fast or I won't make it in track and field. Well, I'd I'd say you've uh, you've certainly made it and proved them wrong with a nine nine eight in the one hundred, a nineteen nine eight in the two hundred, which is the top time uh, in, in the nation as you go into the, to your meet this week in, in Eugene. Um, as we finish up, you said it yourself. You know, track and field doesn't last forever, and it's not going to be what defines you ultimately. I think you're a sport management major, so do you have any inkling what the future may hold whenever your running career is done? And hopefully, that's a lot of years from now. Um. I'm not sure. I'm still in the process of um, seeing what I want to do. But if there's one thing, I'm working on a foundation I've been working on for about three years now because I'm a person that I love to help people. Like I said, track and field don't last forever. So I feel like my purpose on this earth is to help others get to where they need to be. And a lot of times people don't like to help people or don't talk to them. I want to be that guy to help people to see the hidden potential that they have inside of them. And that's where my foundation or trying to market myself in in the future to help people reach those goals and let them know that if they put their mind to anything with God, all things is possible. Andre, we wish you the best of luck uh, this week in Eugene. And uh, you're just a junior, so you've got more time ahead at Florida State. But uh, uh, we're glad you got a chance to wear the garnet and gold, and we know you represent it well. Best of luck this week. Thank you. appreciate it. Andre Ewers, who is uh, from Jamaica. You can hear the accent there. This is his first year at Florida State and uh, the latest in a long line of high-quality sprinters that have come through the Florida State program. All right, we'll step aside. Keith will rejoin us when we continue with more Front Row Knowles right after this. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. I had the radio on. I was driving. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
We are back. And a few minutes to go. Thanks to Andre Ewers and uh, best of luck to he and the track Seminoles out there because Bob Brayman's got that program pointed back in the right direction. If things break well for the men, they could get a top 10 this weekend. The women could probably get a top 25 to cap off Florida State's athletics year, which has been a terrific year. And again, as I mentioned uh, prior, uh, you know, the sprinters get all the notoriety. They're the ones we watch and, and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we spent all this time watching them and the, the event is just in seconds. Austin uh, Drugsma in the shot put and Trey Cunningham in the 110 hurdles. A couple other guys on the men's side who, who should score. You ever run hurdles, Tommy, in your younger life? No. I ran hurdles one time. Keith, have you? I'm like 5'9". I'm just saying. A I ran parking hurdles. blumper is a hurdle to me. I ran hurdles <laughs> one time in high school on, on a basically a dare. And I got a li- just a little bit of training, a little bit of you know how to do it. I never got one over one clean. I probably took me 38 seconds to run 100 meters. I, I you know I used to watch that in the Olympics and just be amazed. Um, and it's oh, one yeah. one thing to go in a straight line fast. That's that's remarkable as well. But to get over a hurdle at the same time you're trying to go in a straight line fast. Ooh. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from. They are on Stuckey Avenue, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, also 3269 Crawfordville Highway, 580-1200, or visit them online at ctf.nu. That is Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, big supporters of the program, and of uh, 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. So, Big supporters of FSU baseball. Ron, Ron and that group loves baseball, and man, what a disappointment uh well, on, that, on, in that, on that field uh, yeah and we've got a few minutes to wrap up on that so your initial thoughts i don't know if you were watching the game i was at the game when parish came back in after the rain delay uh when parish came back in after the rain delay i said that's a mistake and so your thought on it being a mistake was because it's not fair it's per- potentially harmful to his arm or you just didn't think it was the best strategic decision when you got a when you have a 30 minute or a 45 minute delay that's one thing. This delay was over two hours. He'd thrown eight. Uh, pitch count was at a hundred. The book just says, and, right? And, and 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 I understand why eleven went the way he went. I don't fault the decision. And obviously, hindsight, we, you know, I'm I'm the proverbial Monday morning quarterback. But I well, said at the time, right, that that was a bad decision. And then when he walked the second guy. There was nobody up in the pen, so you couldn't go get him. That was a mistake. Yeah, and I guess the reason I'm asking the question, though, is to me, and you had a son who played baseball, and he's through it. My son is – he's not even at coach pitch yet, so I don't know what the pitch limits are. I mean, he's at coach pitch. He's not at kid pitch yet, so I don't know what the pitch limits are. You thought it was a mistake because he was going to be tired and maybe wear down, not have command, or you thought it was a mistake because potentially his – I thought it was a mistake because after a two-hour – he's out mentally. Yeah. To recapture – that mental focus, uh, you know, and and my other thought, uh, and this sounds crazy, but my other thought was the big picture. All right, we're in elimination games. If he comes back and throws, and you win that game, you cannot go back to him in the series. I don't think they were going back to him anyway, though. At that point, another day. But you could have gone back to him on Monday if you needed ten or twenty pitches at but, some point. Yeah, I, that one would have really shocked me even more. I'm, I'm saying he, that's a yeah. low low level reason why I wouldn't have brought him. Well, back. well here's what I, what I'm driving at is that there's a lot of major league baseball types who are using not very nice language to describe what Mike Martin did. He's going to ruin this kid's arm. He's going to ruin his career. And I was not here in the '80s uh, when Mike Martin, I guess, overused Richie Lewis or some others. But he has been more than fair and i don't even know what the right word judicious he's been he hasn't overused pitchers i was with the team for seven years um he just hasn't overused them i mean you get to 110 120 pitches and and you're done he hasn't brought guys back after that in a regional um i'll point out the kid who pitched for mississippi state on monday who pitched really well he pitched three times in four days over the weekend which he had not done all year he had only pitched back-to-back days once in the regional he pitched friday Sunday and Monday, and he wound up throwing probably 20 more pitches cumulatively than what Drew Parrish did on one day. So I think those that are concerned about the arm has more to do with the delay than the total pitches. But I did think, to, to me when I saw it, and as fans, 
we always play the, okay, who are we going to pitch tomorrow? And if we win the first game, who are we going to pitch in that game? And coaches cannot get into that game because as soon as you start worrying about tomorrow, you lose you, you lose, lose today. And so to me, the decision was one of the only times I can, and I haven't talked to Mike Martin or Mike Bell or Mike Jr., but my initial thought was they're playing for the rest of the regional. They're trying to hold Van Eyck or somebody else. And I just don't recall really seeing them do that when I was calling their games. It's all about if we have to use 12 pitchers to get through today, we'll get through today and win. And then we'll look at what's left and we'll figure out who's going to well, start tomorrow. And that one, one of those teams used eight in that 20 to 10. Right. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying as fans, it's easy. You look ahead and you play that game. Okay. We're going to win this. Doesn't matter who closes out Mississippi state. And then we'll start carp Sunday morning. Uh, and then we'll go to Pollard Sunday night. So who are we going to start Monday? But you can't play that game. If you just bigger, we've only got two minutes. The bigger question, and it coincided with the draft, so you get all the major league. Major league teams are always going to say protect the arm because, A, the team's invested $20 million in the player. The player's not going to want to go out there because he's making $20 million on his arm. The agent's going to tell the player not to go out there. So everybody at that level is going to say be cautious with it. Do you think we're at the point where we need to put a pitch count or an inning count on college baseball players to remove the decision from coaches? I don't know what it would look like. Maybe you can only, if you're a starter, you can only pitch once in a region. Whatever it is, maybe it's 130 pitches cumulative over X amount of days. I don't know the science of it. I just feel like, because Mike Martin, again, not an arm abuser, lots of coaches are. I mean, I think in the, in the, in the Gator Regional, FAU started the same guy Saturday that they started Monday. I think, something like that. The answer to your question is no. Okay. But I do think in this particular situation, I would have made a different decision. Right. It mainly revolves, again, repeating myself, to the two-hour delay as opposed to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And the fact that we were in the eighth inning, Parrish had been throwing well, and and I know his fastball was faster in the eighth than it was in the first. I know all this. But the mental part of him refocusing and recapturing that, uh, particularly when he walked the first guy and then the second guy, uh, it just showed. And that's no disrespect to him, no disrespect to, to 11. That's just the way I would have done it. And I said it at the time, so the people I'm with would validate that. There's not a time or date stamp on your social media post about that, though. No, there's not. There's not. I'll look for the postcard in my mailbox indicating that you thought it was a bad decision. There won't be one. We couldn't go a show without me. That's, bringing social media into it that's, that's what we do on a regular basis that's what makes us the smother yeah no i it, it's <laughs> it's obviously it's unfortunate the way it ended uh i don't think it's as egregious as what some nationally want to try and point out having been around mike oh, i don't and, and i don't pay any attention to that i don't yeah. i don't care what major league baseball says i don't care what major league baseball says yeah and i'm not coming at it from a perception standpoint i'm asking if the reality is that arms are being overworked or abused, and I don't know enough about the science to know if that's true, I do know there's coaches that won't hesitate to throw guys quite frequently. Anyway, we're out of time. It's a national championship Wednesday. Didn't mean to end on that note. Let's go back, salute the Seminoles. Friday at uh, 3.30 at the Unconquered Statue. Florida State uh, will light it up for another national championship. Congratulations to Lonnie and the ladies. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. Mm-hmm.